0: The two pilgrims walk along in silence. Theirs is a hard journey. Fatigue has set in after walking so far, and it is the time of day that is neither night nor day, but some kind of in-between twilight. And staring ahead through the gloom, they suddenly see in the distance the towers of a great city, and the two pilgrims Pick up their pace. This scene sets the climax of the first book in Dante's Divine Comedy, the end of the medieval poet's vision of his long journey down into hell, the bottom of the world, the very pit of Satan. And guided by the ancient Roman poet Virgil, Dante's pulse quickens at the sight of the city ahead. But the wise Virgil cautions Dante about trusting his vision, trusting what he thinks he sees. You are still too far back in the dark to make out clearly what you think you see. It is natural that you should miss the mark. You will see clearly when you reach the place how much your eyes mislead you at a distance. And indeed, as the two journey onward, the closer they get to the city, it emerges that the towers of the city are nothing of the sort, but rather massive giants, grossly distorted and enormous creatures representing the elemental forces of evil. The giants' size and shape represent a visual embodiment of our natures unbalanced by distorted loves and our lust for brute power. In other words, it represents a world utterly without God. And the great theological insight that Dante has here in the long poem, and it is a great theological insight, is the following. We don't usually see well our real situation. And to perceive our blindness... To perceive our blindness is actually the beginning of real sight. So, the issue of seeing and not seeing is a very prominent theme in the Gospel according to Mark. In fact, I would argue that the issue of seeing and not seeing is an organizing principle of the entirety of the Gospel according to Mark. The very beginning of the Gospel. The kingdom of God touches down in our world in the person of Jesus. And the first to see this is Jesus himself at his baptism. Jesus saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then the climax of the gospel, the climax of this story that begins with Jesus seeing is when all humanity sees the same thing as Jesus breathes his last on the cross. It is the centurion who looked and saw how he breathed his last and said, truly, this is God's son. Now we see. Trust me, the issue of seeing and not seeing is a very important theme, motif in Mark's gospel. And we've been camped out now for several weeks right in the, right in the middle of it, a significant section where Jesus keeps on telling his disciples that he will be glorified through his crucifixion telling them that to follow him is to walk in the way of the cross. But they just cannot see how that can be so. And yet sandwiched around these stories of the disciples' failure to see, episodes highlighting their spiritual lack of perception, in the very middle of Mark's gospel, there are stories of total strangers being healed of blindness. And we hear one of those today. As you know, Jesus performs all kinds of healing miracles in the gospel from mortal sickness, from demon possession, from paralysis, from deafness, from leprosy, and from other things. Why this particular emphasis, stress, on healing of blindness? You might say that In the Gospel narrative, Jesus is now turning for home in his journey to Jerusalem and the cross. Having traveled from Galilee, moving southward, he passes through Jericho, it's a bustling town, the last level place before his steep ascent up into the Judean mountains to Jerusalem, which is a city of giants in its own way, the seat of both Jewish religious power and Roman domination. And it is here in Jericho that Jesus performs the last of his miracles in Mark's gospel before the one great miracle of his resurrection. And it is here, actually, that 44 of us on our most recent St. George's Holy Land pilgrimage were standing just 13 days ago right there in Jericho. I know it's easy for some of us to visualize uh, this story in a way that might not have been so easy just two weeks ago. So Jesus' miracle working, his preaching, his reputation have preceded him into town. And a great crowd of fellow pilgrims is also going up to Jerusalem for the coming Passover. And above the noise, above the den of the crowd, Jesus is perceptive to hear the cry of a beggar. And he stops and calls the beggar over to him. And the beggar is blind. And Jesus asks him, What do you want me to do for you? What an incredible question for the Lord of the universe to ask of a blind beggar, to ask of you, to ask of me. Two of his own disciples, James and John, were asked the exact same question just preceding this story. And their response, their response, what do you want me to do for you? They asked for seats of honor, just like... The giants of this fallen world, they want power and status and recognition. And now Jesus asks a blind beggar in Jericho, What do you want me to do for you? And he responds, I want to see again. I want to see again. And Jesus does it. What causes us to lose our sight? What has always interested me about this particular miracle story, first of all, there are hints, a strong one, that blindness was not this man's original condition. He was not born blind, he asked to see again. Poignantly, there is in the beggar's response to Jesus some vestigial memory of once being able to see that he's lost. Again, what happened to him that he lost his sight? We're not told. But obviously some, something very unfortunate, maybe something tragic, a sickness, an accident, an injury, a violence, brokenness and sickness, pain and loss. Yeah, they can cause us to lose our spiritual sight. After all, how does one see the glory of God in a world like the one we're currently living in? not necessarily easy, is it? We note too, that the beggar has a name in the story. This is not a, a nameless person who was healed. His name is Bartimaeus. He is someone that people know. He is someone that people remembered. They remembered his name. Mark included it in his gospel. Perhaps Bartimaeus lived an awfully long time after this story, and he told everybody he met in the life of the early church about it. Moreover, I would argue that Bartimaeus once was not a beggar. How can we say this? Because he is identified by his father, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, son of Timaeus. It was common in this culture to identify men by their fathers if their fathers were people of some stature. And so we can surmise from these details, important details, that earlier in his life, This was a man who was neither blind nor a beggar, but rather someone who had vision and a means to a future. And something terrible happened to him, perhaps leading to cascading troubles such that he one day found himself beside a dusty road begging for handouts. Until, until the Savior of the world passed by and asked him. What do you want me to do for you? I want to see again. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asks you this day once again. I want to see again loved ones of mine who are dead. I want to see that. I want to see what it's like to be loved truly unconditionally. I want to see my body healthy and whole again. I want to see broken relationships in my life healed. I want to see the restoration of my innocence and purity. I want to see this dangerously broken and violent nation of ours united. I want to see what it's like to take more responsibility for my faith. To take my Christian life more seriously. I like to see that. All of which is a yearning for the following. I want to see the story of my life being a lot larger than the one I normally see. I want to see the story of my life enveloped in the story of Jesus, but I often feel far off, as if seeing through a gloom, as if seeing through a great distance. The good news is this, that is the beginning of what healing looks like. To join the blind and broken Bartimaeus in confessing, in crying out to Jesus, I want to see again with the real eyes that you intend for me. So would you do that? Answer like Bartimaeus, could you do that? Much of the Christian world has been mourning this past week the death of Eugene Peterson. I have quoted Eugene Peterson so many times from this very spot, other teaching contexts here. Uh, He is one of, to me, the most beautiful and important spiritual theologians and authors of our day. He just died on Monday. Actually, he said to a group of people just the other day, I said, you know, I think I've read everything that Eugene Peterson ever wrote. I'll think of him that much. Then I read an obituary where it said he wrote 30 books. I think I've read about half of all that Eugene Peterson ever wrote, because I haven't read 30 books of his, but I've read a lot. I watched a uh, couple of YouTube interviews with Eugene Peterson, um, just honoring him this week. Gosh, what, what a man. Just a man exuding this gentle ease of self-possession, warm assurance. In his most recent book, at least the most recent one that I have, published last year, he, he shares in the introduction about his early life and professional ministry because he's also a pastor. And uh, when he was uh, out of seminary and in his late 20s, he was asked by his denomination to launch, to organize and launch a new congregation outside of Baltimore, Maryland. And um, he, was a, he was a confident young pastor. He thought he knew what he was doing, and he thought he knew how to succeed. With his training, with his instincts, his ambitions, he would apply all the right techniques, all the right jargon, all the right-sounding vision, and he would be successful. And he uses this very language God gave him eyes to see very quickly that he was incompetent. (laughs) He was incompetent to do any of that. He was not a good pastor. He was not a good preacher. To open his blindness to what was most needful, he began to see that the most important thing he had to do was to attend day by day by day to what God was doing, looking for God And doing that with other people. And once he started doing that, the congregation was born, and he served it for many years. I know and listen to you. I watch and I love you so very much. And I think there's a lot of the young Eugene Peterson in this place. Striving after a success that may not have all that much to do with seeing ourselves inside the story of Jesus. A success that may leave many of us squinting dimly at the city on the horizon, but is not a city at all, but a place where God is absent, even if it serves up a big job, a nice house, and high-achieving kids. That can be a godless place. Doesn't have to be, of course. And deep down, as I know you so well, we would like to see with new eyes. And I see this all the time. To be healed by God, to become amazed by some new irresistible attraction to Jesus, who may not previously have gotten all that much of our attention, but who now gets our whole life. And immediately blind Bartimaeus recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Jesus gives him his sight, but he does not give him that former life back. The story does not tell us that Bartimaeus was then led into material prosperity or social acceptance or an impressive career or that he achieved any kind of success whatsoever by worldly standards. All we are told is that he followed Jesus out of his gloom with clear eyes onward, on the way to that city where the monsters of sin killed our Christ so that we could be saved from them. What do you want me to do for you? We hear it again today. Please, Lord, we might say, open our eyes to see you as you already see us, close, intimate, not far away and help us to see ourselves as you see us too loved beyond measure forgiven but hopefully also as those who like Bartimaeus have faith and courage to move out from the life that we are currently living to follow him on the way